Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're airing this episode in honor of my three-year excision anniversary. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> so I had excision about three years ago today. And we wanted to air this episode to give an update and to give information on how my life has been going post-excision and also just what continued healing for endometriosis looks like post-excision. Because sometimes I think that in the community, we hear a lot about excision and, you know, excision is the gold standard. Excision is a really important step. But then oftentimes there's not clear information about what follow-up care and what follow-up treatment and recovery look like after excision. So today we want to really focus on this aspect of how excision is oftentimes step one for so many of us. And we want to share with you what I've been doing post-excision in these last three years to keep trying to feel better from this horrible disease. And I do want to say that I recognize that I was very fortunate to have had excision surgery. Excision, as we know, is the gold standard for endometriosis. And it is a privilege that most people with endometriosis don't have access to for a variety of reasons that we talked about in our previous couple of episodes we just aired on excision surgery. So I'm extremely grateful that I was able to have excision. And I want to talk a little bit today about what it helped with, what it didn't help with, and then the reality and the expectations around excision surgery. So with excision surgery, we often hear a lot of positive stories. We often hear about how life-changing it is for many patients. And certainly it was life-changing for me, but it also did not improve every single aspect of my health. And I want to point out something that my friend Jordan said on her Instagram account. She runs the account Endo But Alive, which is a really wonderful account where she shares educational information and also her experiences of living with endometriosis and adenomyosis. And so Jordan once put up a post that said, it's surgery, not magic. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. It's unfortunate that excision isn't like the disappearing act in a magician's show. You know, they go into the box, they say, I'm going to disappear, and they drop the curtain and they're gone. And then all the endo and all the symptoms and everything related to having endometriosis is just gone. Poof, like that. Can it be like that instead? I would like that option. Can I have the magic option? Were we, were we discussing which one was better? I think the magic one's better. I want that one. Sometimes I think finding an excision surgeon is actually more difficult than finding yeah. a wizard from medieval times. That's pulling a rabbit out of a hat, pulling <laughs> an excision surgeon out of a billions of people. <laughs> That's what that feels like. I think sometimes, though, we feel like excision is going to be magic because 
we hear accounts and stories of people talking about how their pain disappeared and how when they woke up, they knew instantly their endo pain was gone or their fertility improved and they had a successful pregnancy after excision or they feel a million times better. Endometriosis is really individualistic. We all have endometriosis, but we all have different types. There's the superficial, there's endometriomas, there's deep infiltrating endometriosis. Some of us only have superficial, some of us have all three types. There are different locations of endometriosis. Then we can have excision surgeries with different surgeons that have different skill levels. We all have different genes. We all have different lifestyles. All of these play a role in our manifestation of endometriosis in our body, as in the way that endometriosis gives us pain and symptoms, the way that it makes us feel, the outcome of our surgery. Excision is the gold standard because it removes the lesions at the root. We know that statistically it gives the best outcomes for quality of life improvements over ablation or hormone therapy. But excision is not magic, as Jordan said. And I love that because excision is not a cure. It really is step one for so many of us. It is just one step in our healing with endometriosis. I mean, if it were magic, we would get excision and then we would just, we would feel better, right? We would just get excision and feel 100% better. And that's not the case for so many of us. In spite of drastic improvements that so many of us see, there's still so much going on in our bodies for so many of us. And that's what we want to talk about today. Okay, so just humor me for a moment. I want to change our podcast from a endometriosis show to a magic show for just like two seconds. Okay, imagine with me. If endometriosis could be removed by magic potion, ooh, would it be a potion? Would it be a spell? What would it look like? I need to know. Visualize for me and explain to me how this would work with magic. Just humor me. It would be a potion made from unicorn farts. Oh, <laughs> how do we source those? <laughs> we follow unicorns around and, ooh, what? They're ethically sourced, right? <laughs> <laughs> we follow unicorns around and then when they fart, we trap the farts in bags. Are they like iridescent holographic rainbow? Is that like how they look? Duh. Oh, okay. Everyone knows some a glitter. unicorn know. fart is rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they're made from unicorn smiles. Aww. Or maybe they're made from unicorn horns. Okay, we don't support poaching on this podcast. <laughs> Mythical creatures are not. <laughs> We're just kidding. We would never steal the horns off of any animal. No. So I'm going to, I think it's less unicorn and more a mixture of things. Here's, here's my recipe list, okay? It has one cup of celery juice, but not just any celery juice. The all-powerful, blessed celery juice from the finest organic celery. The greenest celery yes. juice you've the ever most seen. potent celery you could ever get. <laughs> One cup of the all-powerful celery juice with a dash of your unicorn fart for color, you know? And then you have to mix it on a full moon while in downward dog position with the spoon between your teeth only. You may not use your hands. While you're doing this, you have to grin so hard that your cheeks hurt because you must maintain a toxic level of positivity in order to infuse it into the potion. So once you do that, you have to take the potion, let it age for one month, one full blood cycle, and then you have to use it to steam your yoni in order to receive the potion, and poof, all the endometriosis is gone in a puff of purple smoke. It smells like blood, but it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's my potion recipe. <laughs> wow. The magic of curing endometriosis. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew it would be so simple? <laughs> Offer the low price of $8,999. Uh, yeah, I, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's accessible. <laughs> After you do your magical potion with the all-powerful celery juice, steaming your yoni in the downward dog position with a smile that hurts your cheeks and your butt cheeks. You have to make your butt cheeks smile, Clench too. them. <laughs> That's part of the process. Yes. And then once you cure your endo, you only have unicorn farts. Yes, forever. Forever. Every time you fart, glitter sprays into your underwear. And they smell like cotton candy. <laughs> You don't have to fart as much because there's no endometriosis there making inflammation in your bowels. <laughs> when you have the rare farts, you have the unicorn farts. Like, oh, it's beautiful. And you attract unicorns with your farts. Aww. Yeah, with the pheromones I and want the a little unicorn family. <laughs> little baby unicorns. <laughs> so once you have your magic, I mean your excision surgery, they say that excision is only step one. I think this is commonly said in the endometriosis community that excision is a really big step, but that is not the only step. And so what does that really mean to hear that excision is only step one? I think what's commonly referred to is that people with endometriosis often have multiple pain generators. They have multiple chronic co-conditions that need to be addressed post-excision. And then we need to recover and heal from, in most cases, years and years of endometriosis ravaging our body, systemic inflammation, and all the problems that endometriosis has brought to us in all of the years that it went untreated. And I know for me that really has been the case, that excision really has been a huge step in my healing, but it's definitely not been the like end-all, be-all, one-and-only step. And I think luckily, having had excision and having been able to reduce many of my symptoms, especially my pain, has given me more space and energy to deal with other aspects of my health. But, you know, I'm three years out from excision and I am still every single day working on my health. And so it has been a long road since excision. And I see that there's still a really long road ahead, at least in my own case. I definitely get why they call it step one, because it's the first step to actually remove the disease from our bodies. So it's the only step that can do that. So after removing the disease from our bodies, there are steps that we have to take to continue to improve our health and continue to feel better. But step one kind of makes it sound like it's the very first thing that we do when we have endometriosis, and it's not. We often have 30, <laughs> 100 steps before that step that we take in order to help manage our symptoms and manage our lives with endometriosis. So, so if you can't have excision, you're unable to, or it's inaccessible, that doesn't mean that there's nothing we can do or there's no other steps we can take. Those pre-steps still count, and they can still make a massive impact on how we feel in our health. Things like stress management and getting a good exercise schedule, the way that we eat, the way that we sleep, those are all foundations of our health, and those steps that we take before step one, I guess they're all step zero through negative? <laughs> negative sounds bad, but <laughs> they're pre-steps. We'll call it that. They're, they're pre-steps before that big step one. All of those things are still super effective, and many of those things continue after the step one. So 
I understand why they say step one, but it is a little confusing because it's not the first place many of us get to start. We have to start with a lot of things before that. Well, and I also think putting all those mini steps, I guess those negative, quote unquote, negative <laughs> steps, negative numbered the steps. Pre -steps. <laughs> the pre-steps. All the zeros, zero A, zero yes, B, there zero we go. C, putting all of those steps into place before we're able to have excision surgery can help us with recovery from surgery, can help us address our co-conditions and take the future steps after. So I think what I've really learned post-excision is that endometriosis truly is a full-body disease that can affect our mind, our body, and our soul. I mean, with excision, most of my endometriosis lesions were removed, and that has considerably helped with my fatigue and my inflammation and my pain. And I'm really happy with the results of my excision. But I've also still post-excision, I've had to do so much work on my health. And there are still so many aspects where I don't feel good and I'm dealing with problems of my health every single day. So excision helped me a lot. But of course, there's still parts of my health that it couldn't help with. There's still all of this like systemic fallout that I'm trying to clean up and recover and treat after having endometriosis untreated in my body for 16 years. So it improved my quality of life, but it didn't improve every aspect of my life. And I also think excision helped me realize what health problems were actually coming from like having the endometriosis lesions in my body and what health problems were from something different. And these something difference are oftentimes Related directly or indirectly to endo, but removing the lesions didn't make them go away. Amy and I got to watch an endometriosis summit talk by Dr. Iris Orbuck. Dr. Orbuck wrote the book Beating Endo, so you've probably heard of that. And in this endometriosis summit, she talked about the endo domino effect, which sounds fun, but it's not. <laughs> it's the least funnest the game least you'll fun ever game play <laughs> in your life. It's the game you play when you're trapped in hell. Yes, yeah, essentially. <laughs> so Dr. Orbuck says that the first domino in this endo-domino effect is endo. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Wow, I never would have seen that coming. Revolutionary. <laughs> well, the next part is. It all starts with endometriosis. <laughs> That's how it feels That's for us. That's really how it yeah. all ends, yep. if you ask me. <laughs> Starts kind of, and ends with endo. Yeah, it kind of felt like my life went downhill when I got endo. But okay, it all starts <laughs> it all with starts with It all endo. starts being terrible. Yes, with the endo. <laughs> so since the first domino is endo, and since many of us get to go 10 years or more without any adequate treatment. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, we just get to do that. <laughs> and I just want to point out here that when we say adequate treatment, we mean treatment of the actual endometriosis yes. lesions and not like symptom management, quote unquote, treatment. So things like taking Orlissa or Lupron or hormones or using the Mirena IUD, things like that. I mean, even ablation, those are not treatments of the disease itself. And so even though we might manage to get our symptoms to be like a lion, tamed, like a tamed lion. <laughs> More survivable. We might manage to tame, quote unquote, tame our symptoms. They're not clawing at us. They're just like <laughs> slapping us in the face every time we walk by. That's not actually treatment of our endometriosis. The endometriosis is still in our body causing systemic inflammation, causing 
cytokine release, the inflammation affecting our intestines or, you know, structural changes with our pelvic floor. So all that can still be happening, even though we might be taking birth control or, or LISA or quote-unquote treating our endometriosis, really treating our symptoms. Yes, that makes sense because if the endometriosis is still in the body, then it can contribute to additional problems. If it's removed, there's a less of a chance of that happening. So because we go for so long with the endometriosis remaining in our body, this can domino effect into other diseases, other chronic illnesses. Oh, my God, how fun. I know. I told you it was wow. about to get great. Everyone <laughs> loves getting additional chronic illnesses in addition to the really horrible We get a gold illness. sticker for every one. We wear them like badges, wow. you know? <laughs> it's the endo scouts. <laughs> yes, exactly. We all have a sash, and then we all get our different little pins and badges. Patch. Oh, they're patches, I think, that Aww. we sewed on. It's like, this patch you get if you have chronic diarrhea. This patch you get if you have chronic constipation. This patch you get if you have both. And there's all these my different patches. My sash is going to get so full. Oh, my God. That would be so much fun. <laughs> Every time you have a symptom, it's kind of like you, you know, did something like when mm-hmm. we used to have the, when the scouts. I accomplished living through chronic diarrhea again. <laughs> <laughs> then the scouts are like, I did my first campfire. I did my first climbing a tree. <laughs> Ours is my first diarrhea that was blazing and terrible and burning me. I got through that. My other one is my first time that I bled through all of my tampon and all of my pad and all of my underwear and out of my pants. And I, I get a badge for that. And I left the stain on my office chair at work. The badge may be made from a piece of my pants during that incident. That's why it's so brown. But that happened to me. <laughs> I think we need to start something here. Can we copyright that? (laughs) I think Dr. Orbach talking about this was really validating because for many of us, we do have this endometriosis domino effect where we have endometriosis, but then there are other chronic illnesses that we're also dealing with. And of course, we're all familiar with the way that we're gaslit in terms of the illnesses that we're dealing with. We've been told so many times that we're not sick about the endometriosis, never mind about all of the other ways that our body is now manifesting other illnesses. We're told that we're making it up, that it's not as bad as it seems, that it's all in our head. You're still sick. Oh, you're sick again. Oh, it's something different this time. I'm sure those are remarks that all of us are very familiar with. Really? You have five different chronic illnesses? Sure you do. Mm -hmm. Hypochondria. Mm -hmm. Getting the diagnosis of endometriosis is so validating. That's why it's so important to get that diagnosis. But then getting our co-conditions diagnosed can also be really validating because it means that we're not making it up, which we know we're not. It's not in our head. These are actual real diseases that may be caused by our endometriosis domino effect. So I'm going to be Amy for a minute. (gasps) Oh, God, I'm scared. (laughs) I hope you talk about my unicorn fire. No. You don't get any unicorn farts in this one. Well, you don't get any. I get them. (laughs) Okay, okay. So, hi, I'm Amy. Hi, Amy. Nice to meet you. Oh, thank you. I hope you like me. (laughs) Is that how insecure I am? I'm going to make everybody like me. (laughs) Wow. I'm really insecure. I'm seeing it now. Looking at Brittany's like looking in a mirror. (laughs) We look very different, but we're the same. (laughs) Okay, so I'm Amy, and I have endometriosis. I also have SIBO. I also have interstitial cystitis. I also have pelvic floor dysfunction. I also have fibromyalgia. I also have histamine intolerance. 
And I also have mast cell activation syndrome. Nice to meet you. What do you have? (laughs) (laughs) That's me being Amy. (laughs) Now, that isn't to make fun of Amy, but that is to say. Well, it sounds like it was to make fun of Amy. (laughs) Well, you know what? You make fun of me. I get a little moment. Okay. So that's not to mock her. That is to say that those all of those co-conditions are real and diagnosed. And Amy lives with all of those things. But endo is first. Wow. Sounds like it's really hard to be Amy. Yes, it is. That's why I have to love Amy so much. Those are all my dominoes. <laughs> those are your dominoes. Oh, my God. What are your dominoes listening? Oh, yeah. Please list out your dominoes and then <laughs> design your dominoes. It's way more fun if they're not just the white background with the black pips on them. They're called pips. I don't know why I know that. Wow. <laughs> just design your dominoes. Amy's would probably be a gradient rainbow with some glitter pips on them, just knowing Amy. Mine would probably still be black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany's very minimalist. My favorite I'm very colors colorful. are black, white, and gray, okay? We are polar opposites. It works very well. And our apartments are totally different. Yes, they are. They really are. So back to me being Amy and making fun of, I mean, talking about all of her co-conditions. Many of those co-conditions may be a result of her first single domino of endometriosis. She's not inventing them. They're not made up. They're not in her head. I remember when Dr. Orbach explained this in the Endometriosis Summit, Amy messaged me immediately and was, and was saying to me, oh my goodness, I feel so seen. I feel so visible. I feel like I'm being validated for the fact that I have all of these. She listed all of the things I deal with and then I have some more. Of course, Amy has to always have some more, right? Don't we all? <laughs> we, we with endometriosis, we are overachievers. Yes. To the max. We are like, ooh, I could get seven conditions, then I'll go for 20. <laughs> You're like, body, calm down. We don't need we 20. Don't need we're fine with seven. We were fine with one. We really were. Body says, nah. <laughs> and it's like, I love having friends. <laughs> it's party time every day. <laughs> oh, God, don't party. Endo loves the party. We've talked about that Endo too many times. Endo is a wild. <laughs> yes social animal oh my goodness endo is a pack animal yes endo is an ant because they live in the nest with like (laughs) billions of other ants and it collects things like the little mermaid like it collects all these chronic illnesses and there's a hoarder trinkets (laughs) yeah it's it's not a cute look endo well dr orbuck mentioned in the summit specifically SIBO, interstitial cystitis pelvic floor dysfunction central sensitization and anxiety and depression those are considered to be common dominoes that fall when a person has endo. <gasps> How many people listening have anyone? Did you check any of those or off all? too? We should make a bingo, a oh domino bingo. <laughs> I like that. Can you get a bingo? If Can you, you win? You get a hard because oh. I got nothing else to give you. I, but I want to honestly, hug you. if I win, I'd rather get the magical. Oh yeah, the magic celery, celery yoni steam. Yes, yes. yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Send us your address and we'll mail you <laughs> the steam. So what I also found interesting was Dr. Orbeck explained a little bit about why this happens, why we have these co-conditions. Oh, wait. I know why. Ooh, tell me. Well, according to like every doctor I've ever met, except for the really knowledgeable ones that I've met recently, and according to every person who has an opinion that shouldn't, 
it's because I'm a hypochondriac and it's all oh, in my head. Yes. Is that what Dr. Orbach? Yeah, it's because you just have anxiety, said? right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it's just because I need to get psychotherapy for yeah. all my repressed emotions. Yeah. Um, no, Dr. Orbach didn't say that because <gasps> Dr. Orbach belongs to that educated camp of oh, what you recently learned Oh, my God, wait. Did from. she use science to talk she about why all the did. dominoes fall? Ooh, oh, wow. She didn't rely on the sex and gender bias or myths or anything like that. She just used science to explain why. Why? Wow, my jaw is wide open. <laughs> so thank you, Dr. Orbuck, for explaining that the reason why we may have some of these dominoes fall when we have endo that goes inadequately treated for many years is because we get more nerve fibers that go from our endometriosis lesions to our central nervous system. We have more cytokines. We have more inflammation, as we all know. We have more structural changes because they're pulling on our anatomy, on our organs, on our fascia. There's more pain. It affects our central nervous system. So even in our body, there's a domino effect happening, which is no wonder why all of these co-conditions may appear in many of us. Yeah, definitely. When Dr. Orbach explained all that, I felt so validated. Like Brittany said, I felt so seen because I think so many of us before and even after excision surgery, we're still dealing with all of these dominoes that are, you know, directly or indirectly related to endometriosis. I think one of the biggest things that post-excision many of us need to address is the pelvic floor dysfunction. Pelvic floor dysfunction can happen for a variety of reasons with endometriosis. And then additionally, Pelvic floor dysfunction can play a huge role in other conditions, for example, in interstitial cystitis. Those dominoes just keep <laughs> They're never going to stop. <laughs> it's less dominoes, more spider web now. <laughs> I know in my own case, getting excision did not help with my pelvic floor dysfunction, and it did not help with my interstitial cystitis symptoms. So like in my own case, I still have raging interstitial cystitis symptoms. Burning when I go pee, urgency, a lot of urgency, frequency, you know, sudden spasms in my bladder. Like, I'll be fine. Then I'm like, oh, I got to pee. Oh, I peed. <laughs> Couldn't hold it in. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> my boyfriend's like, you were just fine five seconds ago. Now you're peeing. I'm like, well, that's the bladder for you. <laughs> okay. I can't control that thing. It can't even control itself. <laughs> I'm still getting up in the night to go pee. After I go pee, I have a lot of pain, like, my abdomen feels really exhausted. My back, my flank hurts when I, like, after I go pee, I have these, like, weird sensations. That's always fun. <laughs> oh, what sensation am I going to have this time? It's like a roulette wheel. You spin it, and it just lands on a sensation for fun. To be honest, it's really disruptive in the nighttime. I don't know if it's because oh, when you're gosh, sleeping, yeah. your bladder's filling. But all I know is, like, I'll wake up at whatever time, 2 or 4 in the morning. Every night I wake up, I have to go pee. I wake up, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm in a lot of pain. I go pee, it burns, I get back in bed. I'm like, oh, I'm back in bed, I'm warm, I'm comfortable. And my bladder's like, hello! <laughs> you thought you were going to be comfortable? My, my back is like, ooh, crushing pain. My my abdomen is like, ooh, we feel like we've done a million sit-ups. I'm like, all you did was go pee, people. That's all you did. No sit-ups happened. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. I only nope. sat up one time. No flames were thrown in the bladder. Like, what are you people doing? We peed. We should be happy. We should all be no, alleviated and relieved. we must domino effect. We must. We must touch our brethren. Wake them up. <laughs> Incite 
beat them into riot inside of our bodies. <laughs> so no, I, you don't have to. So then I lay awake for another like hour and a half. Of course, naturally. I'm like, I, we could have just peed and gone back to bed, but instead we peed and got back in bed and then laid in pain and then fell back naturally. asleep like an hour before the alarm went off and then woke up exhausted. But you know, that's fine. Thank you so much. Thank you, Endo Dominoes. <laughs> and Dominoes? <laughs> So I think for a lot of us, getting, you know, our pelvic floor dysfunction may not be causing interstitial cystitis symptoms like it is for me, but it might be causing general pelvic pain. It could be causing painful sex. It could be causing problems with bowel movements. So many people after they have excision surgery end up getting pelvic floor therapy. I have not gotten pelvic floor therapy yet. I know I'm three years out and I'm like, I need to get it. It's been three years, but I've also been trying to put out all these other fires that have been more urgent for me with my body, which we'll get to later on. Histamine. But when we get pelvic floor therapy, it's really important to find a pelvic floor therapist who is knowledgeable in the endometriosis body. Because pelvic floor therapy is not going in there and doing Kegels, doing... It's not one size fits all. Yeah, it's not doing the pelvic floor therapy like that's the same as postpartum. It's not... It's a different pelvic floor therapy to support people with endometriosis. So it's really important that you vet and check out your pelvic floor therapists that are offered to know that they know what endometriosis is and they know how the body has these structural changes because of endometriosis. We also want to talk about the central sensitization. So this is when our central nervous system can become extra sensitized or extra sensitive because of our endometriosis. Ooh, another thing in my body becoming extra sensitive. <laughs> extra sensitive. Yeah. Mm, let's see. My bladder is extra sensitive. My bowels are extra sensitive. My food intolerances, so like my kind of stomach is extra sensitive. Oh, another thing, your central nervous system. Yeah, It's just another patch that I'm going to put on my endo sash. You get a new one. Wow. This one's a lightning bolt. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I was thinking more of like a bunch of tree branches or something. Mm, this, or a bunch of wires. Yeah, this like yeah. The, represent the nerves and the interconnectedness of all the nerves. I like the wires, yeah. Ooh, ooh we're crafty now. We're really building something here. <laughs> we're going to open an Etsy shop <laughs> called like... Endo patches. Yeah, endo patches for your endo sash. It's actually cute. <laughs> that is so cute. And we can all be on social media with our Aww, sash. Oh, that's adorable. So what happens with the central sensitization is that we have more pain with less stimulation. So less stimuli, but we have more pain. So that's super fun. We're more sensitive to the pain that we experience, the pain that our body tells us we're having. And this can happen after having years of endometriosis pain that goes untreated. We're actually going to talk more about the pain in an upcoming episode. That's going to be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a seven-part series about pain. We can't wait for you to hear it. <laughs> we can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> and we can't wait to not be in it, i.e. not be in pain. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the magic potion? <laughs> so this can manifest kind of in a way of it takes less to make us feel the pain. The pain we feel is often heightened. So the way it can present is in things like full body fibromyalgia. Or it could be something like hypersensitivity to touch. Could be that you can't hug someone or hold someone's hand. Obviously, removal of endometriosis and a reduction in the inflammation can help with the central sensitization. 
but some people find that even after excision, they need to work on down-regulating their central nervous system to get it out of that overreactive, high-alert, sensitized state. So working with your doctor on this, it could involve medication, seeing a pain psychologist, doing specific meditations or visualizations like those you could find in the Curable app. So if we have excision surgery and the endometriosis lesions are removed, that can remove that source of pain. However, many of us still continue to have that sensitization because our bodies for so long were experiencing that and it doesn't go down just because of endometriosis surgery or excision. They're heightened and they're like, oh, yes, we're going to stick around. We love stimuli. (laughs) So because we're lucky enough to have them stick around, friends forever, BFFs. Not. Not. We have to look into ways to helping to reduce that sensitization. We'll also point out that this is a nuanced topic because, unfortunately, central sensitization is being used as another common way to gaslight and dismiss patients. As if they need another reason to gaslight and dismiss us. Well, now they found another one. (laughs) It's like they cannot stop finding ways to gaslight us. So we have endometriosis patients who are in pain who haven't yet had excision, and they're being told by their doctors, it must be central sensitization. And then they're being referred to pain clinics. But they're not actually being offered excision surgery to remove the endometriosis lesions that are actively causing them pain via biological injury to the body. And then we have those of us who have had excision. but. For some of us who are being told that it's central sensitization, it may actually be that we did not have a complete excision surgery with an expert. So we know that skill levels vary among surgeons. And unfortunately, what that means is that excision surgery is not equal among us and that some of us may not be having an expert complete excision. So we return to our doctor, and our doctor is so quick to say, no, I got it all, it must be central sensitization, when maybe in reality they did not have the skills to get all of our endometriosis. And so this is a nuanced topic. I talk more about this on my webpage that I've linked in the show notes. It's called Addressing Pain Post-Excision, and it really goes into detail about these different situations. Many of us post-excision or post-surgery, whether that be that we have an endometrioma removed or we have our ovaries removed or we have a hysterectomy, we can have a change in our hormones. And just a quick reminder that organ removal is not a treatment for endometriosis. And the role of a hysterectomy or oophorectomy in a patient's treatment is on a case-by-case basis that would need to be discussed in depth with an experienced excision surgeon and not just any gynecologist. And I know for myself, something that I was not expecting in the least was to have this change in my hormones. I did end up losing my ovary to a 12-centimeter endometrioma. I was told before the surgery happened that I would lose this ovary. And I was also told that it really shouldn't be a problem. My other ovary would, you know, pick up the slack and do the work and that I wouldn't really see any hormone changes. And that absolutely was not the case. We should have known better. (laughs) (laughs) That was absolutely not the case. And so I was definitely not expecting my hormones to completely tank about six months after losing my ovary. 
And suddenly I was dealing with insomnia and hot flashes and hormone-induced anxiety. Like just suddenly I was having a lot of anxiety, feeling a lot of just like panic and feelings that I don't normally feel in my daily life. She lets me feel them alone. She tried it out for a little while. <laughs> I was like, I don't like this whole anxiety every day like, thing. I know. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I've dealt with anxiety in the past, but not in the way that I felt with the hormone-induced anxiety. This anxiety, I just felt like it felt hard to breathe. I felt like I was being suffocated. Like I felt really heavy. Overwhelming. I, yeah, I just mm-hmm. felt overwhelmed. In the past, when I dealt with anxiety, it was more like, ruminations, like spiraling, really bothersome thoughts, like getting really stuck on certain thoughts and just having those thoughts over and over. A lot of worries, just like worrying, worrying. But it wasn't really a feeling that I felt in my body. And so with these hormone changes, like just suddenly I just felt so overwhelmed in my body. Like it was it was really intense. Um, She was blessed with that. You're welcome. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Then we could talk about it together. (laughs) I could offer some pointers. I'm so familiar. I guess what Brittany's saying is she also wants me to have anxiety like No. Well, then I also want Brittany to have endo like me. No. Mm -hmm. Like you now? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't want the histamine. I don't want any of the dominoes. I got my own dominoes. (laughs) Brittany's got her own stuff she's dealing with. She's got her own unicorn vomit yeah i was gonna say unicorn (laughs) splatter poo yeah it's a unicorn like an alpaca spits that's what the unicorn does for me (laughs) and also my period started coming every 21 days so that was fun and it still it still is coming every 21 to 23 days even though i went on hormone replacement therapy so i had to seek out a doctor for that i am taking progesterone i love my progesterone oh i love my progesterone my favorite thing in the world, in this order, is excision surgery, oral progesterone, my cat, unicorn farts. Mm, Brittany? Okay, at least I made the top five. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany was sitting on the edge of her I'm gonna seat. I'm going to contest that order, but at least I made the top five. <laughs> okay, no, but like I love my progesterone. Yeah, so fair enough. It changed so much for you. I think for so many of us, if we're having major problems, we may want to look into our hormones because, you know, if our estrogen drops, we can have changes in our mood, changes in the way we feel. If our testosterone drops, we can have changes in our libido, changes in our energy. So our hormones, as we've explained in previous episodes, are so, so powerful. And it can be really good to get our hormones checked with a doctor to see if any kind of hormone imbalance is contributing to our symptoms. And that is something that, you know, we can treat and address. And many of us, especially post-hysterectomy or post-oophorectomy, do end up going on hormone replacement therapy. So I want to talk about a big one that Dr. Orbach mentioned, which is SIBO. SIBO. <laughs> Everybody's favorite SIBO. Wait, what's the, um, it was so, oh, the YMCA song, but like. S-I-B-O. And no it's one, not fun to have S-I-B-O. And no one wants to have S-I-B-O. But if they have it, they feel S-C-R-E-W-E. They feel like C-R-E-P-E. <laughs> we got to start with the four letters here. Okay. You're right. <laughs> they feel like S-H. Different four letter words. I was trying to do the, the, the friendly word. Okay. <laughs> 
So SIBO is something that can be very common in people with endometriosis. And Amy has it ragingly. Right now. <laughs> She's got a lot of SIBO. Yeah. Many SIBOs. That's not real, but <laughs> it sounds funny. Got all the SIBOs. She has every single SIBO. She Who else has them all? all the SIBOs? Well, there are three types. Of- <laughs> Who so else has SIBO? Who's going to collect them Anyone all? Anyone who has SIBO, fart on cue with me right now. <laughs> One, two, I'm plugging my nose. Three. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I did too. What does that mean? If you have SIBO, <laughs> you pretty much can fart on command unless you're super constipated. Which happens. And then you can just show your endo belly. Yeah. <laughs> Clutches, bloated belly. <laughs> <laughs> it's bloated because there are unicorns inside. Oh, we're, that's what we're going to call them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think one of the most astonishing points that really hits home how many people with endometriosis has SIBO is that there was a study done with 50 people who have endo and 80% of them had SIBO. 80%. Wow. I mean, that's a very small sample size, but... But a ton of that sample size. Wow. Oh, my yeah. God. 40 out of 50 people had SIBO? Yep. I'm not surprised. No, not surprised at all. So Amy's working on SIBO personally because it can be a root cause for her favorite domino, which is her histamine problems. Shh, Brittany. <laughs> Shh. I'm not supposed to say their name. They're going to hear me. Don't say the H word. <laughs> Don't invoke <laughs> the mast cells. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brittany, why do so many of us get to have unicorns in our abdomen, also known as SIBO? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. So we have those nifty endoadhesions. <gasps> I love those. And they Especially all... when my organs fuse together. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite part. Yeah. And then we all get to have that wonderful blessing of inflammation. Oh, I love that, too. I love the way it makes me feel tired and exhausted <laughs> and in pain. And then some of us, many of us, also have lesions directly on our bowels. So oh, that's fun, but little you don't decorations, even... <laughs> you know? Wow, little what did you call those dots it's like on the It's like bejeweled. They're little pips on our <laughs> on our yeah, bowels. What did you call those little dots on They're the the pips <laughs> on the dominoes, yes. the pips. We get little pips all They're over. They're bejeweled. Our... Wow. <laughs> Although please note you do not need to have endo on the bowel for to the domino SIBO. to fall mm-hmm. for SIBO because it can just fall with the adhesions and the inflammation. It can just fall for fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we do have those adhesions on our bowel, they can affect our gut motility. And most importantly, the $1,000 term here is the gut bacteria. Ooh. So SIBO is really fun. And I'm going to list off all the fun ways that we get to live with SIBO. So if you have SIBO, you can have diarrhea, gas, histamine intolerances, allergies, racing heart, migraines, insomnia, acne, skin rashes, hives, bloating, and other problems with your bowels. There's more, but I ran out of energy and breath. (laughs) (laughs) There's more, but the SIBO sucked me dry. (laughs) The SIBO said, you're done. Don't tell them all of my secrets. (laughs) The SIBO caused brain fog, and now I don't know where I am. (laughs) No, really, I don't. (laughs) Well, you're not in the toilet, so stop pulling your pants down, Brittany. Oh, darn it. (laughs) I should stop farting, too, I guess. It's the SIBO. Oh, that was, I thought they were the unicorns. (laughs) Yeah, it was the unicorns. Smells like cotton candy in here. Oh, good. I'm glad. (laughs) Scratch his head. (laughs) Nervously looks away. (laughs) So you can actually test for SIBO with your doctor via a breath test. So that's a good way to find out if you have SIBO and maybe potentially start treatment for it. There are a few different ways to treat SIBO. So there are herbal antimicrobials, which is actually what Amy takes. Yay. 
There's also antibiotics. And there's also a special diet called the elemental diet. I was actually really interested in doing the elemental diet because I saw some studies that with the elemental diet, people had a greater rate of success at treating SIBO because one of the big things with SIBO is that like those bacteria love to be in the body. They just don't ever want to die. And so oftentimes when you do SIBO treatment, it's not just one round. You do multiple rounds of SIBO treatment. SIBO is relentless. It just wants to keep living. They're just, like evergreen trees. They just keep thriving and surviving. Just like endometriosis. Yeah. They're, they're BFFs forever. Yes, Endo clearly. and SIBO sitting in a tree, wreaking havoc inside me. <laughs> wow. I should You're write, a poet and you didn't even know it. I should write children's books about Aww. chronic illness. Actually, you should. That's a I good should. idea. That would really help There are people. many children with chronic illness. There are many children whose parents have chronic mm-hmm. illness. But I really want to do the elemental diet because often with SIBO, you have to do like multi rounds of treatment. So actually, so far, I've I've done five rounds of SIBO treatment with the antimicrobials. And you typically do like two weeks of treatment, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. But I really want to do the elemental diet. But it was so expensive because it's like special formula that you you don't eat and you drink this special formula so many times a day and it starves out the bacteria. Ah, uh, it doesn't give them what they want. Yeah, so they can't, you know, so then they're just like, oh, we're withering away and dying. You're I'm like, melting, ah. I'm melting, what a world. I'm reclaiming world. my body from SIBO. <laughs> but it was so expensive. I was like, no, I could literally do five rounds of the other treatment for the price of <laughs> one elemental, the elemental diet. Oof. I was so shocked. I was like, how can a powder with nutrients in it be so expensive? Very expensive. That's nice that that's out there, but not accessible. <laughs> <laughs> but SIBO treatment can be quite pricey, which is why I went for the antimicrobials, not for the antibiotics. And additionally, which is why I'm this is the only problem that I'm treating right now, even though I'd really love to get pelvic floor therapy. There are things that I'd love to do, but unfortunately, SIBO. Unlimited time and funds are not a thing. All <laughs> my time and energy and money. Yep. But it's also, for me, it's the one causing me the most problems because I think my histamine intolerance and all of the things that I've been dealing with right now are one of the root causes is SIBO. So. Speaking of histamine intolerance, what did you talk about? My that? intestines are on fire <laughs> and I'm trying to put that fire out. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, histamine. So actually, I put up a post on Instagram about histamine intolerance and some of the problems it was causing me post-excision. And I was surprised. Well, I guess happily surprised. Shocked? Yeah. I, not I was displeased? <laughs> not surprised. I was not expecting because I, I, but obviously, I just wasn't aware that so many other people are also dealing with histamine problems in one form or another. And so we're actually going to have an episode coming up about histamine. In my case, after having surgery, I think because of the SIBO and also my hormones tanking, it led to a case of histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome, which I got tested for with my doctor. So for me, I just I really was not expecting while I was recovering from excision surgery, I was not expecting to start getting symptoms for another condition. And so that was really shocking and really, really overwhelming. About four months after my surgery, I 
began getting a swollen face when I was eating. Like I would eat and my face would swell up and I would get hives on my face and I wasn't really sure what was going on. I thought I suddenly became allergic to some kind of food, like maybe I became allergic to nuts or eggs. So I started going down that path with an allergist. It turns out that I wasn't allergic to anything. And another maybe six weeks went by and I started having more symptoms and I couldn't pinpoint the hives to anything. They just felt like they were happening all the time and I was eating like really varied foods. Anyways, within a about a month or two, the symptoms really progressed. Suddenly my throat was closing when I was eating. Then I began having migraines and racing heart and my throat closing away from food. Like if I was putting lotion on my legs or after I showered, it was winter at the time. And so if I was inside my apartment with the heat on and then I went to go take a walk outside, then my throat would close from the change in temperature in the air. And of course, as you can imagine, it was really scary to start getting all these symptoms. And, you know, the migraines were absolutely crippling. The racing heart, my heart was racing, pounding in my chest. I started having really intense insomnia. And I'm a person that I've always been able to sleep easily. Of course, I've spent nights like tossing and turning in pain. But when I'm not in pain, generally, I can just fall asleep within a few minutes of my head hitting the pillow. But suddenly I was awake the entire night, wide awake, and I felt like I'd chugged so many coffees all day long. And it was just a huge, a slew of symptoms that I was not prepared to deal with while I was still trying to recover from the physical and emotional stress and trauma of having excision surgery. And I am doing a lot better now because I was able to go on hormone replacement therapy, because I was able to see a doctor for the mast cell and start medication for that because I've been able to treat my SIBO. Every round of SIBO is really helping diminish my symptoms with histamine intolerance. But the psychological impact of getting those symptoms while I was still recovering from excision was immense. You know, with excision, I had these hopes and dreams that the excision magic would really improve my life and that I would feel better after excision. And like I said, in so many ways, my symptoms did improve. My quality of life did improve in the aspects of pain and fatigue and inflammation and things that were related to endometriosis. And I was feeling really happy and I was feeling really optimistic. And just when I started trusting, like around three months after excision, is this real? Is this real that my pain has been reduced? Is this real that I can hold my partner's hand and, you know, my fibromyalgia pain has gone down? Like, is this real that I can have a bowel movement without screaming in pain? Is this reality? Is this a dream? And just when I kind of relaxed my guard and really accepted and believed that this was real, and I really let that gratitude flood my body and just say, wow, oh my gosh, why I've had a huge improvement from excision. I cannot believe this. That's really when all of the symptoms started, all of the histamine symptoms. It swooped in. And it was like a slap in my face. It was really, I was not prepared for all of, like I said, all of the symptoms. Suddenly I was at work and when I would eat my lunch, a migraine would come on so strong that I would collapse on the floor of my cubicle, clutching my head 
and then my bladder would be spasming because of the histamine affects the IC symptoms. My heart would be racing out of my chest. Coworkers would come over to like ask me a question, see me on the floor in a ball, and they'd be like, are you okay? And the migraine was so strong at times, I could not even speak. Like I could not even say yes or no. Then my throat would be closing. I had to get an EpiPen. I remember times with Brittany, my throat was closing, and I said, Brittany, come to my desk, and she'd be sitting at my cubicle with the EpiPen in her hand. She would say, look at my face, breathe with me, breathe with me. I'd be watching Brittany's face, breathe in and out, trying to not let stress add to the reaction of my throat closing that I was already having from the food that I ate or from the change in the air con going on with the EpiPen in my hand. All of that when I was recovering from surgery, and it was a lot. And I want to say with all of that, that like I really had no clue how to cope with what was going on. I had no idea how to deal with it. And I also had no idea what was wrong with me. It took about four months to, like even though I was going to different doctors, they really did not know what was going on with me. My blood work was coming back weird with weird results, but they couldn't figure it out. And I ended up figuring it out myself through like online research that it could be histamine intolerance. Then I found the mast cell Then I looked for a specialist in mast cell activation syndrome and went to see that specialist. And that's when I finally started to get answers and treatment options for what was going on for me and a better understanding and then, you know, better empowerment and control and ways to address the symptoms and ways to address the root causes behind the symptoms. But there was a four-month stretch when I was completely lost. And the hopelessness and the disappointment and the desperation that I felt especially my dreams of having this surgery that I've been waiting to have for for 16 years, not even knowing that I was waiting to have it because I didn't even know about excision before that, but suffering with endometriosis symptoms like so many of us are for decades of our life, finally accessing the gold standard of treatment, which so many people cannot access. I'm feeling so grateful for that. Having the surgery, seeing an improvement in symptoms and saying, oh my God, wow. I can't believe my life is going to change. And then having all of those symptoms, new symptoms come in to deal with, it was so desperate. And I became very depressed. I had a lot of anxiety. And I began having a lot of intrusive thoughts pop in my head in different moments about ending my life. And of course, that was also very startling. And I recognized that I was really not in a good place emotionally. I was really hanging on by a thread. I was crying every single day at work, in my home, in meetings. I was barely talking. And I ended up reaching out to a mental health professional and working through the emotional trauma that I was carrying at that time. That period of Amy's life was really challenging. I mean, living with endometriosis is challenging. And to have had this compounded was just a totally new challenge for us. And it was very traumatic to have that pendulum swing the way that it did emotionally. And I think this is probably something that many of you can relate to, even if it's not histamine intolerance or mast cell activation. I think many of us can relate to being diagnosed after we have excision surgery or while we have endometriosis or any time in our lives. It could be something like we find out we have adenomyosis 
We feel fortunate enough and are so grateful to have excision surgery and we start to see improvement, but then the pendulum swings back and we find out that we have adenomyosis or we have Crohn's or SIBO or interstitial cystitis or another painful or challenging illness. We have to learn all new information. We have to research all new things, all new symptoms that we weren't previously equipped to deal with. We've spent so long learning about endo and all of the symptoms and how we can manage them. And it's so exhausting. It's so tiring. These are all new, and we thought we wouldn't have to, and we thought that maybe we were going to feel better, and we thought that things were going to improve. And that's why it's so traumatic to deal with something like this, which is not uncommon in our community. It's really crushing to not have the overall outcome that we wanted post-excision, It's really crushing to see other people that look like they're doing great when we're not. And it's a really complex, complicated time physically, but also mentally and emotionally. It's also possible after excision for us to have complications from the surgery. And that brings a whole host of its own struggles and many things that we have to look out for and now be aware of and follow up treatment and seeking different treatment. It can be really difficult to come to terms with the fact that excision isn't magic and it doesn't just solve all of the problems inside of our bodies. Thankfully, Amy got so much relief from excision, but post-excision, she still has so much to work on with her health. I think that's something that I've really saw post-excision. I think with excision, it's just so hard to know what to expect because all of us have different results with excision. Like you said, Brittany, some of us have huge improvements in the quality of our life, and some of us don't. Some of us get a really good outcome from excision, and some of us just don't get the outcome that we were hoping for that we see other people have. Some of us have complications with our surgery post-excision. Some of us get new co-conditions post-excision. The results and the outcome of excision surgery overall, like within our body, can be so individualistic. We know that excision, if we get an excision with a qualified expert, then we know that those lesions are being removed from our body. And that is really good. But how that affects our domino effect in our body, how that affects our co-conditions, how that affects our pain, that is all really individual. And I think it's really hard to know what to expect with our own bodies. And I know my own case, like, I didn't want to have hope that I would feel better. And I was very skeptical. But then I had the surgery and then I started to see myself feel better. So I let myself feel that hope, which can, like, feel so vulnerable and dangerous and scary to feel hope when you haven't had hope for so long. And then I just felt like all of that hope was snatched away from me when the mast cell came on. And that's, in my own case, why I think it affected my mental health so much, why it was so traumatic. And of course, I mean, in general, problems like any other co-condition can be really traumatic and detrimental physically and, and mentally. So I don't need a justification or a reason for why it affected me so much. I mean, we don't need to justify why something has affected us so much. Like, I don't need to justify to my family or other people who don't understand like why it was so hard to cope with those symptoms. 
I think sometimes they make us feel like we have to justify it. You know, they're like, oh, Mm -hmm. you're sick again or, oh, you can't handle it. Goes back to those things that we've heard our whole lives. Yeah. So I don't need to gaslight myself. But I think like having worked with a therapist and worked trying to process these feelings and done a lot of journaling, I think that's what really contributed to my feelings of desperation and disappointment and trauma. That whole element of surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And it was hard because I felt like I should feel a certain way. I felt like I should feel super grateful for having had excision. And of course I did. And I still do. I felt unbelievably grateful that I was able to have the gold standard treatment. And that excision has resolved so many of my intolerable symptoms that I've lived with for a decade and a half. Excision resolved my painful sex, my painful bowel movements, and my painful periods. My period went from me writhing on the floor, throwing up, and going out of my skin from pain to me barely having pain now with my periods. And it feels shocking and miraculous. And I am so grateful. In many ways, it feels like someone has given me my life back. And I never ever thought that was going to happen for me. Excision also lessened my fibromyalgia pain and my fatigue symptoms too, and it also gave me wings and now I can fly. Sounds accurate. (laughs) Just kidding about the flying part, but I do have wings. In my underwear on my pad. (laughs) (sighs) Trying to switch to the menstrual cup, but... Pretty hard. (laughs) We're both having a learning curve. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty hard. Also... It's very sensitive in that vagina area for me, so it's pretty hard work to put the cup in and out. So may not be happening, but try. We're going to try. <laughs> We're on a quest. But, you know, I've had a really great outcome from my excision surgery, and I am so, so thrilled. But when all of the histamine symptoms began, when my throat started closing, when I was wired all night, two nights in a row without sleeping, wondering how literally I could go that long without sleep. It was shocking. It was literally like, this cannot be real, but it was real. When all of that was going on, and I was in the real dark, dark depths of this brand new, overwhelming, life-altering problem, I didn't feel grateful for my excision, my incredible progress of excision. Instead, those feelings just got overshadowed and I felt scared and angry and sad that all of these new things were happening. And I felt so confused at how something could go so right. And I could feel so elated and like breathe a sigh of relief that things were finally going right for me. And then they could immediately go so wrong. And I was furious at the world for giving me something that I've wanted my whole adult life since I was 17 years old. I've wanted a resolution to my incapacitating pain flares, pain flares that cause so much trauma, pain flares that, you know, you have in public and you quote unquote make a scene and they caused me so much shame and so much embarrassment. But now another huge part of my health was being taken away. And in my voice, I was screaming, this isn't fair and this is so messed up. And then I was angry at myself because my gratitude at what I considered a successful surgery outcome for excision 
was now being overshadowed by my inconsolable grief at having to now figure out what the heck was wrong with me again. And I kept trying to tell myself, well, at least you don't have pain anymore. Can you imagine if you still had those endoflares on top of these new symptoms? And then part of me thought, I would just rather have my endoflares back than deal with this. And then part of me felt so utterly disgusted with myself for thinking that. And then part of me felt so exhausted by my life in general and having to start from zero with totally new full body health problems that were very serious and triggered by pretty much everything. And then needing to do that major lifestyle and food overhaul again, which I just did not want to do. I'm so emotionally exhausted. And all of that, all of that emotional turmoil and conflicting feelings were happening when I was trying to heal from two major surgeries that I had within four months of each other. That period of time for Amy and watching her go through this was months. (laughs) When I say period, I mean like a year, (laughs) like not a couple days. The dark depths of my feelings for pretty much, yeah, full year. It was truly awful. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to these feelings of fear and sadness. I mean, deep soul sadness and anger in your own journeys with endometriosis, even though the circumstances may be different. And I think something that was really important for Amy to learn and for me to learn and for all of us to learn is that there is duality in our feelings. It doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be gratitude or not. It doesn't have to be angry or peaceful. You can have multiple feelings at once. This is a concept we're familiar with. Think of the term bittersweet. We know what it's like to be happy yet slightly sad or think something is sweet but also not the happiest moment in our life. We know this concept of bittersweet. We can also have gratitude and anger. We can also have fear and determination. We can exist with multiple feelings because we are complex humans and we have the capacity for it. So just because you are feeling an emotion that maybe you don't want to be feeling or you're trying to work through doesn't mean that's the only feeling you're feeling at the moment. And recognizing that we can have more than one, we can have more than just two feelings about our situation or what we're going through is really liberating because we don't have to force ourselves to feel a certain way. We can just feel how we feel recognize how we feel and decide what we want to do with that. And I think about what Amy said, that she was disgusted that she felt so what she determined was ungrateful about having excision surgery. And I think that understanding this duality of feelings allows us to not judge ourselves, not shame ourselves. And by not doing that, not putting ourselves down and saying, you're the worst for not feeling grateful. You're, you have this privilege and you're not proud of it. You're so disgraceful. When we don't put ourselves down like that, we give ourselves more room, more room to potentially feel the way that we want to feel, but we're not actually allowing ourselves to feel it because we are degrading ourselves so much. So yes, you can feel angry and furious and so devastated that you're having an experience. But if you don't judge yourself for feeling that way, you may find that you also feel relief for not having a different experience or grateful that that previous experience is over. You can have both at the same time. There is no right way to feel and there's no right way to experience your emotions. 
But I can see post-excision surgery that I think for so many of us, endometriosis has caused so much grief in our lives. It has caused so much trauma. Endometriosis for a very long time had completely broken my relationship with food. There was so much fear in my life around interacting with one of my endometriosis triggers, like my flares, you know, be that food or a speed bump or tying my shoe. All of that used to trigger debilitating pain. There was so much gaslighting from other people and from myself. There was so much dismissal. There was a serious lack of meaning in my life. And there was also a tendency for myself to push myself to keep up with able-bodied society, to not rest, to judge myself if I wanted to rest or if I wanted to take a nap. There's a lot of feelings in my case of being a burden. There's a lot of guilt for being sick, for canceling plans, for not being quote-unquote good enough. There was a lot of hatred, a lot of hateful self-talk. So those are all things that have been affecting my quality of life, my, my view of myself, my ability to show up in my relationships, in my work, in the way that I interact in the world. And those are all things that I've been working on in these last three years post-excision. And really, I've been working on pre-excision, trying to figure out who I am and to have confidence in myself and to stop feeling so afraid all the time and to trust in myself and my ability to get through all of my really horrible days and to work through all of the trauma that I have gotten all of these years from living with endo and all the symptoms and all the co-conditions. Everyone's path post-excision and pre-excision will look differently because we all have different needs. What you need is different from what Amy needs is what's different from somebody else. Is what's different from what unicorns need. (laughs) They just need love. (laughs) Then they're better. In addition to some of the other ways that we talked about early in the episode about addressing your general health or taking those steps, there's also some other steps, post-steps or pre-steps that we can take. These are things like changing what we're eating or how we're eating, maybe trying adding in certain vegetables, removing others, cooking more meals for ourselves, being aware of what's in the foods that we eat. We could get a better sleep hygiene schedule. This one's always a big one for me. We make sure that we wind down before we go to bed, get our full amount that we need to feel rested and regenerated. We can have more daily movement, whatever that looks like to us. Could be a run, could be yoga, could be stretching, could be pacing around the room. It doesn't matter. Daily movement can really help our bodies to feel good. For me, it's walking my cat outside every day for an hour. Just a nice, slow, The nature feels so good. A nice, slow, leisurely walk where my cat sniffs the bushes and I get a little (laughs) bit of exercise and just walk around. It's just casual, leisurely movement. Yeah, and it's fun. In addition to utilizing techniques like these for our physical body, it's also important to pay attention to our mental well-being as well. That could be things like journaling speaking to a mental health professional, seeking counseling, working on your negative self-talk, your compassion, your self-acceptance. All of those things can help us with our emotional health and also with our mental health as well as our physical health. 
Of course, that's not an exhaustive list of all the things you can do. And if you do something awesome that we didn't mention, we'd love if you share that with our community. But you don't have to be perfect at these things either. You don't have to pick up one and then be the champion. We know that Endo's an overachiever, but we don't have to be. So you can just do it for five minutes a day, or even if you can't do it every day, whenever you remember. These things don't have to be done perfectly or not at all. They are a practice. They are learning. We need to find the things that help us feel better, and it's going to be different for every single person. And maybe things that we tried five, ten years ago, we should try again now because we change, we grow, we evolve. Our emotions change, our outlook changes, our bodies change. So Amy and I are always really big advocates of trying something again years later, just in case maybe it works this time. Maybe that's your thing that will help you feel better this time. You know, going off what you just said, you know, maybe in the past we have tried pelvic floor therapy, but we didn't see any results. But maybe if we try with a different therapist at a different time in our life, maybe now we could see results for our IC symptoms. And so I think there's the negative endodomino effects where endo causes all these problems downstream. You know, it can cause the SIBO and the IC and the blah, 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 and the blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. That's like, <laughs> like so many, so many. It's like many... the teachers in Charlie Brown, the adults. Wah, so, wah, so wah. many problems, so <laughs> many problems. But I think we can also see positive upward spiral. We can maybe see a positive domino effect. But the little ways that we make changes can lead to a change here and a change there and a change there. And then something that didn't work five years ago might actually be exactly the thing that we need right now. And so I personally have been really trying to, because you're like, okay, I tried that. It didn't work. Next, on to the next thing. But I've been trying right now to say, okay, maybe what can I revisit, especially if it doesn't cost a lot of money and it's not a huge burden on me to do it? Like maybe I can revisit trying yoga or maybe I can revisit journaling about how my day went and, you know, my emotional stress. So Amy, I have a question for you. After your three years post-excision and through all of these ups and downs, the bumps, the valleys, the peaks, the potholes, do you have any takeaway for us? If you could give me one phrase of wisdom, what would that phrase of wisdom be? Unicorn farts are beautiful. (laughs) I said wisdom, not wisecracks. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like what you... Clever, Brittany. Clever. I don't know. Put me on the spot. Yeah, I know. You okay, did it yeah, all the time. I do have something. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's like I prepared for this episode. It's something. almost like we prepare. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I think the biggest takeaway from my excision surgery is that I have a disease that is chronic, that has no cure, that I'm going to have forever. And I'm pretty sure that I'm never going to feel 100% better. And that's not because I'm giving up. It's not because I'm saying, oh, I'm never going to feel better. I'm going to throw my hands in the air. I'm just going to give up and I don't care. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'm finally understanding after all these years of being sick and like knowing that I'm sick, but now having surgery and just still like I feel a million times better than I did, but I still feel like crap every day. (laughs) So just getting that understanding that my reality is that endometriosis has wreaked a lot of havoc in my body and I'm managing multiple chronic conditions. And I think I understand fully now that at least in my case, 
healing my body, addressing my endometriosis is a lifelong journey that I'm not sure is ever going to end. And for so long, it was a journey that I don't want to be on. And I still don't want to be on this journey. But the hard truth is that I am. I am on this journey. This is my life. I am trudging my way up the endo chronic illness mountain with a bunch of rocks in my backpack named interstitial cystitis and IBS (laughs) and SIBO and central sensitization and fibromyalgia and mast cell activation syndrome and all the other boulders in my backpack. And that's really hard. And so I think what I've been working on in these last three years and and prior to excision as well, but now really, really trying to work on is finding peace, finding peace with my endometriosis, finding peace with my health, finding peace with my life. I want to feel emotionally freer in spite of all the physical problems. I want to feel emotionally freer. I want to feel lighter. I want to feel happier. And so I think for me, I'm just ready to let go, just to completely let go of the hope of having a pain-free life and to say, okay, this is my life, then I'm going to take as many steps as I can to try to feel better, but I'm no longer going to be attached to the outcome. And I think I finally understand that there are going to be days that are absolutely horrible There are going to be days when I might not sleep at all because I'm in so much pain, days when my legs will burn the whole day, days when I will be exhausted, days when I will spend hours on the toilet from diarrhea, days when I have stabbing rectal pains. But that's a part of my life. And I just, I want to be okay with that. So every day I'm taking steps to heal my mind, my body, and my soul. Every day I'm taking steps to try to manage my symptoms, but I'm also taking steps to try to fill my life with joy and find meaning and laugh and be with my friends and be with my kitties and be with unicorns. Naturally. (laughs) I'm trying to find ways to make my life still feel like it's worth living in spite of all of these really painful, overwhelming problems. And so gentle plug for the book that I recently wrote, but as you know, I recently published my book, Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease. And honestly, writing that book was really therapeutic for me to try to work through these feelings and these, this process of acceptance and what finding peace means to me and what that is going to look like in my life for me, because I do think that peace and acceptance in all of our lives is going to look differently. So just like with this podcast where Brittany and I get together to try to share the things that we've learned with this community, it was my hope that by publishing this book, which really began as like private journal entries for me to work through things, I then got the dream to publish the book, to make it a book that could help other people, especially with the self-reflection prompts that are at the end of all of the writing so that the reader can think about what these topics like mindfulness and self-compassion and acceptance and appreciation of a pain-free hour. (laughs) I won't go for the whole day. Moment. (laughs) Moment, second of our lives, what that means to us. So if you've already read my book, I just want to thank you so much for sharing a piece of my 
self, a piece of my soul, really, and sharing that with me. And if you're interested in reading my book in the future, then I'll go ahead and link the title in the show notes today. But you can find that on major ebook retailers online and the paperback in, on Amazon in certain regions. If you had excision surgery and you're not where you hoped you would be, we're sorry. We're sorry that that's what you're experiencing, and I'm sorry that that's what Amy experienced. She's not better after excision surgery, but three years later, just from the outside looking in, she can now fart like a unicorn. (laughs) She has glitter (laughs) farts. She sprays glitter every time she unclenches her butt cheeks. So that is to say, things are better than they were. (laughs) It's glitter farts instead of regular farts. (laughs) So things can improve with those steps. And at the beginning, it feels like an impassable mountain. We cannot even conceive how to climb it. But these steps really can help us to get some headway. And being in community with each other can really help us to not feel alone because we're not. Having a co-condition after excision surgery isn't uncommon. You're not alone. And we hope that you can find some relief in continued treatment with whatever that looks like for your individual person and whatever that looks like for the symptoms that you're experiencing. If you haven't yet been able to access excision, we really, truly hope that one day you'll be able to. And we hope that this episode helps you to have expectation about what you may experience and to better prepare yourself for excision and what can be wonderful and and the potentials of other things you may have to work with afterwards. Since you said about expectations, I want to say one more thing, which is that I consider my excision to have been a success. I had really great results from it, and I do truly feel grateful that I no longer have painful periods. Actually, I feel in shock that I no longer have painful periods or painful bowel movements or pain with sex. It's been three and a half years, and I still see no signs of recurrence. And even symptoms of my fibromyalgia, of my interstitial cystitis, they went down after excision. They used to drastically flare when I was on my period, and they don't do that anymore. So in terms of my endo, I honestly feel great. But in terms of my endo dominoes, I am still working on all of the ways that having an untreated disease in my body for years and years has wreaked havoc. From co-conditions that it's caused or contributed to, to consequences of my surgeries like losing my ovary and having hormone imbalance or having two surgeries back to back and potentially that was a trigger along with losing my ovary and along with the SIBO for the muscle activation syndrome. So I also feel a lot of rage. Like I feel enraged at how the medical system has treated us. And I know that if I had just been treated earlier, that if we are just given proper treatment, are given excision for our endometriosis and gotten those lesions out of our body earlier, that we wouldn't be dealing with all of the dominoes that so many of us are dealing with today. If I were to go back three and a half years ago to when I was having my excision, I would have different expectations than I did back then, knowing all that I know now, knowing about co-conditions and endodominoes and the fact that excision is not magic. 
It's the gold standard, but it's not magic. And I think that I unknowingly thought that it was magic. So when it didn't heal all of the things wrong with me, neither on a physical or an emotional level, I was really disappointed and I was really shocked. And then on top of the new diagnosis with the mass activation syndrome, I was really devastated because I, I just thought that I was going to wake up and that I was just going to, I don't know, just, just, be, just be better. <laughs> but in reality, I am so much better. But like I said, now I realize that I'm probably still going to feel sick every single day. So I'm still working. So I'm working on my health every single day. And it's hard. And it's exhausting. But it's also hopeful. And I do feel finally, after 20 years of being sick, I feel that I'm making progress. I've seen huge improvements in my quality of life. From excision, from treating SIBO, from addressing my mental health. Excision is a really important step. It is the cornerstone of a multidisciplinary approach. But I think I finally understand the meaning of multidisciplinary approach. And I'm trying to tackle my symptoms from all these different angles. And I'm finally able, post excision, to untangle my health. You know, before, everything that I was feeling, like all the pain and all the symptoms, it was just this black hole. And I just thought all of it was endo. Like, I just thought it was all from the same thing. But now I can distinguish post-excision. Oh, okay, that symptom was endo. And this one is that domino called SIBO. And this one is that domino called IC. And that's really helped me to have a more targeted treatment approach. Wherever you are, in your own health, and your own healing, it's hard. It is really, really hard to be sick. It is really hard to have an incurable illness. We just want to say that we see you, that we know how hard it is, and that we're so proud of you. So to end this episode, we want to leave you with a question. Ooh. What do you think a unicorn fart would look like? <laughs> What's your vision of a unicorn what fart? What color is it? Does it have a color? Does it have a smell? <laughs> is the smell salty or sweet? Ooh. Or both? <laughs> oh, my God. Would it be so great if you just had a unicorn that every time it farted, it gave you like $100? Oh, it just farted money. Oh, no. wow. Or it just farted really good Chinese food that never made you sick. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I want to bow right now. Wow. <laughs> or it just farted out whatever you had, like whatever you had in your mind. You're like, oh, I'd love a pain-free day. And then it's like, there you go. And there's no consequence. Like you can we... have whatever. No flares as a result of whatever you eat. No, like, time freezes. It's just like a moment outside of time, you know? So nothing actually affects you in the real world. <laughs> Having a unicorn would be like getting your infinite amount of wishes. <laughs> So where do we go get the unicorns? Yeah, where where are they? <laughs> where do they sell these unicorns? <laughs> where can I find a baby unicorn and rescue it and then raise it as my own? <laughs> but for now, since we probably cannot find a unicorn because they're a mythical creature, Brittany and I are going to go ahead and we're going to make a unicorn 
patch for our endo sash. Yes, yes. That we can all purchase for $8,999 <laughs> on Brittany and I's endometriosis Etsy shop. <laughs> and all $8,999 of that goes into funding education and further research so we can get more excision experts. <laughs> And get ACOG to change their definition of endometriosis on their website. 0.01% of proceeds to Brittany and Amy will go to education funds. Don't you feel like whenever people have these outrageous prices, then they're like, yeah. 10%. You're like, that's it. 10%? That's nothing. You're charging a million dollars. I think you-, <laughs> you can spend more than 10% on a charity. <laughs> So thank you so much for listening today. As always, we're on the website in 16years.com. We are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo. And of course, my book, Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease, is on all major ebook resellers like Amazon, Apple, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, etc. So thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time.